from app.com, it's time to talk college hoops in the Garden State. Welcome to Jersey Jump Shot. That's right, it's time for Jersey Jump Shot. We're talking college hoops in the Garden State. Our final episode of the season, Ryan Ross here with Jerry Carino, Steve Edelson, and Chris Eisman wrapping up the 2021-2022 college basketball season where the Kansas Jayhawks are your national champions. They beat North Carolina in the championship game to win their fourth overall title, their first one since 2008. A 15-point comeback at halftime there for the Jayhawks to take down the Tar Heels. So they are your national champions, back-to-back national champions, out of the Big 12 with Baylor winning last year. Three straight championship games, actually, for the Big 12, going back to Texas Tech. So the Jayhawks, they're your winners in a thrilling championship game. We're not going to spend a ton of time on the game because, of course, we want to discuss the offseason specifically the offseason for your New Jersey college basketball teams. But quickly, Jerry, a pretty good championship game to wrap up. What was a fun March Madness? Excellent game to conclude an excellent tournament. I just want to be critical of Hubert Davis here because Hubert Davis had he had three injuries during the game. Okay, He had Brady Manick got clocked in the head. They never took him out. Then, As far as I could tell, they didn't check him for concussion protocol. Maybe they did at halftime. Uh, He did not play well in the second half. Caleb Love rolled his ankle. He was limping on the court. He never came out. He couldn't defend anybody. And then, of course, you know, they suffered a major injury to the big man at the end of the game, Armando. And, you know, that was just freak accident that killed him. But Hubert Davis had two guys get hurt. He didn't take him out. And then his team tanked in the second half. So I give him a lot of credit for getting an eight seed to the final. I thought he did a terrible job in the second half. And you got to credit Kansas for coming back down 16 on that stage. I thought it was a great tournament and a great end. Some really compelling storylines, you know, and including St. Peter's at the top of the list and uh, some really, really entertaining games. So I, I just think from, from a fan perspective, it really came off as, as a very good March Madness. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's there's upsets. There was there's familiar faces, of course, uh, once we got to the final four. But in the lead up to that, lots of great upsets, only one number one seed making it to the final four. And of course, that was Kansas. And they end up as national champions. Uh, Of course, the the one shining moment moment music video at the end, heavily featuring St. Peter's, of course, because as it it should, as it should, but only a brief cameo for Seton Hall. As LSU celebrate, LSU TCU celebrated, and I didn't see Rutgers in there at all, which is a shame because they had a great game against Notre Dame. But it just shows you that was like a million years ago at this point. Yeah, and and one of many great games, uh, and just the fact that you know that was that first four. Uh, maybe people forgot about it, but yes, of course, Rutgers involved in a great game against Notre Dame as well. And you're right, Jerry. St. Peter's heavily featured in that montage, and rightfully so, because I feel like if you did a poll around the country and asked people what they're going to remember most about this tournament, of course, it has to be the 15 seed St. Peter's making it to the Elite Eight for the first time ever that has happened for any team. So certainly a a fun tournament as we wrap it up here for this season. As we look ahead now to the offseason, before we get into the specifics for our New Jersey teams, such a huge factor in college basketball now, and we see it in college sports as well. We see it in football, but it's starting to really pick up in basketball, and it's the transfer portal. And I know you wanted to talk about this a little bit, Jerry, because it's such a huge factor when you look at the year-to-year for teams, how players can just jump from one program to the other now. It's it's changed college basketball. It really has. And now this is something that we're going to be looking at, not only, you know, specifically here in New Jersey, but around the country. And it's just such a major factor when you look ahead to the offseason. So the freedom of movement rule, it's understandable because 
you know, this is just a, it's a different world now and coaches are changing jobs constantly. So why shouldn't players be able to change schools? It's a, a totally understandable. You do worry about the academic component of it because the, the sit out year did help people, players graduate. Uh, so, do, you know, are they losing transfers or academic time in the shuffle? That That is a legitimate concern. The bigger picture is this, there's going to be 2,000 people in the transfer portal. It's going to be half of Division One basketball players before it's all said and done. And some people are going to get left without a seat at the table. Uh, and some people are just getting bad advice. Some people will be upgrading to better situations. And some people are going to return to where they started. But you just hope that people are transferring for the right reasons that they want to transfer, not that some some parent or handler or ill-advised you know, mentor is giving them bad advice. Um, not that they're running away from hard work or, you know, being a, the, the prospect of, of having to earn minutes or earn time. So there are a lot of reasons why people transfer. You hope it's the right reason, but I will say this, a couple of things. One is a lot, there's a, a, a decent majority of the people who enter the transfer portal already know where they're going. Transfer tampering is rampant. Some of these players have known where they're going since January. Okay. So a lot, some of it is a charade. And then there's others who are legitimately entering the portal to see if they'll get a bite uh, and and not knowing if they'll come back or not. So there's a lot of degrees of, of, uh, of you know, how this thing works. And I will tell you, you know, people want coaches to recruit this guy and that guy in the transfer portal. Well, some of them already have a, a deal in place and already know where they're headed. So you'll never know that, but that is absolutely a fact based on things that have been told to me over and over again. That's something to keep in mind. And th- and that really is the dark side of the transfer portal. You know, you, you let's face it, coaches, representatives are contacting these players, uh, you know, through back channels. And, and they also now, since it's so easy to transfer, you have family, friends, coaches, reps in your ear all season long. You should be playing more. You should be starting. You should be getting more shots. Um, it's a tough situation for some of these kids. Now, with all that said, you still need to, I believe, build a foundation with kids who are going to be there for four years. You're going to have to fill in around that every year with the transfer portal now. That's just the landscape. But you still need to recruit good high school kids and build that foundation because bringing in these kids, you, you have to worry about team chemistry. You know, there's a lot that goes into that, inter- integrating them into a team. Uh, so, again, you can't just rely on the transfer portal to build your program. Yeah, look, I mean, the portal has upended college sports, right? I mean, it's, it's you know, doing the same thing in, in college football. And, and I see it all the time, obviously, you know, covering um, Rutgers football team and, and, you know, the Big Ten. I mean, it's just it's, it's totally changed the landscape and it's become the wild, wild west in some ways. It's tougher for coaches to keep kids in the program in this day and age where, you know, it's so much of that kind of instant gratification where kids want to start. They want to play. They want to be the star. And then if they're not that in the current program, they want to go somewhere else where they can be. And I think it goes back to what Jerry said in terms of trying to earn your minutes. And I think that earning your minutes and earning your playing time is, is sadly becoming like a thing of the past. You know, you want to go someplace where you just get it right away. And unfortunately, it's, it's completely changing the way college sports are, are built and played. And, and like I said, it's totally changed the landscape. So it's definitely um, an interesting component and something to watch. So let's look at the latest news. Like right before we, we started this podcast, uh, Verbal Commits, which has access to the transfer portal, announced that St. Peter's entire backcourt's in the portal. Daryl Banks, Matthew Lee, Doug Eddard have entered the portal. It's not really a surprise that St. Peter's players would want to test 
you know, well, who's interested in them? Can they upgrade to a high major uh, program or a better mid-major with their their coach, the head coach having left for Seton Hall? It's understandable. Uh, some It doesn't mean they won't come back either to St. Peter's like Casey Nadefo did last year when he entered the portal and didn't get really a whole lot of interest that he thought he would get. So to me, that's it seems like St. Peter's coaching situation is unsettled. Uh, if there was – you know, a clear transition of power taking place. I don't know that the players would have entered the portal. So uh, the Shaheen Holloway said in his introduction, he announced it, that we got to keep, we got to do this the right way as far as the transition is concerned at St. Peter's and try to keep this team together that could accomplish big things. Holloway having said that, I just don't see him taking the entire backcourt of St. Peter's over at Seton Hall. I would be shocked if that happens. Also, he has some, a couple of pretty good backcourt players. Already at Seton Hall, including Kadari Richmond, who's you know the who's going to run the offense next year. So, so I don't I don't. We'll see how it plays out. Uh, I got to see who St. Peter's coaches, but if it's someone in Holloway's tree, if it's someone who Holloway has recommended or helped place in the job or that he's close to, he's not going to just take all their players. So we'll have to see how that plays out. And then, of course, you know, r- r- there's a, aside from the portal. You have the declaration of players going turning pro or you know dipping a toe in the NBA waters, and Rutgers has had two prominent players do that, Ron Harper and Caleb McConnell. It's interesting, Chris. I'm sure you paid attention to this. You know, Ron Harper said goodbye, basically, and Caleb McConnell said maybe I'll see you later. Yeah, the door. You know, he left the door open to coming back. back. That's noteworthy uh, because look, Harper's going to get drafted in the second round, most likely. He's on a lot of second round draft boards. And he's, you know, it's probably time for him. And I think he realizes that and the people around him realize that. But if Caleb McConnell comes back, he's not, Caleb McConnell's not going to get, he's not going to get drafted. It just isn't. We love, love the way he plays. Terrific defender. Uh, I just don't see him getting drafted. He's nowhere near any draft boards. Great college player. And if he decides that he, you know, he wants to turn pro and play in Europe or try the G League, that's certainly his prerogative. He's graduating from Rutgers. But if he, you know, wants to come back for one more year, which I think is, is possible, then Rutgers will gladly take him. And now you have you have Cliff Omarui, uh, Omori, sorry. You have Cliff, you have uh, Caleb, and you have Paul Mulcahy, three starters back from a team that made the NCAA tournament. Now you're looking at a much different prospect for Rutgers in 2022-23. Yeah, and, and let's take a look, uh, you know, at our teams in New Jersey, and, and we'll get to Chris in a minute for Rutgers. But, Jerry, I mean, you were just talking about Seton Hall. Of course, kind of all eyes will be on the Pirates this uh, this offseason and, and a lot of excitement around the program, obviously, with the hiring. Holloway, uh, he comes in, he comes back home. Uh, certainly the hire that fans want, you get that idea. Certainly the hire that a, a lot of people within the Seton Hall program are actually are obviously very excited about. So you have him coming home, and it's going to be a very interesting offseason to see what he's able to do with recruits, with the transfer portal, like we just mentioned. And as we look ahead to next season, what are uh, what are some of the priorities for the Pirates in this offseason, and how do they project going into next year? The first question that has to be answered about Seton Hall is who's on the coaching staff. So, you know, Grant Bill Meyer is, is likely headed to Maryland to, to rejoin Kevin Willard. He's Seton Hall's associate head coach. Uh, Dwayne Woodward is gone. He's going to Rhode Island. So that leaves Donald Copeland as a whole Willard holdover. Will he stay on the staff? We'll see. And then there's the, uh, the question of Ryan Whalen, who was uh, Shaw's right-hand man at St. Peter's, who I believe has been the, the front runner to take his place. We'll see how that plays out. 
If he doesn't get the top job at St. Peter's for whatever reason, then he'll be joining Shaheen on Seton Hall staff. I mean, that's all there is to it. Shaheen's going to bring him. They've worked together a long time. So, and then, you know, you hear some other names in the mix. Uh, you know, we've heard Ashley Howard, uh, the former LaSalle coach who knows who knows Holloway uh, very well. He just was fired from LaSalle. He's former recruiter for Villanova. He's in the mix. And then there has been a lot of discussion about the future of Brandon Knight, who has been a really good assistant coach for for uh, Steve Peichel at Rutgers and was reportedly in the mix for the St. Peter's job. I don't know if that's going to happen. Uh, he also is cousins with Shaheen Holloway. So is it possible that he winds up as on Seton Hall staff as associate head coach? I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm not reporting that, but it's it's not out of the realm of possibility. They're very close. And, boy, would that send a tremor through through uh, Jersey College basketball. So there's a lot of things in play here. First step is for Holloway to finalize his staff. And also, as he does that, can he convince Jared Roden and Jameer Harris to come back? You know, Roden was 90% out the door. He was all first-team all Big East wing, was 90% out the door uh, to move on to the pro ranks. I, I feel like that number is more like 50-50 now. Because Shaheen recruited him to Seton Hall. He, he he has a great relationship with him still. He knows Roden's parents. And the good thing is for, you know, Jared and his parents are going to make the decision, not some third party. So that helps. So, and then Jameer Harris, a guy who, uh, a, a guard who Shaheen knows for a long time from the Patrick School. Will he come back and play with his brother next year who's coming up from St. Thomas Aquinas in Middlesex County? It was sort of a 50-50 proposition. I think it might be a little better than that now. So if Shaheen can bring those two guys back along with Kadari Richmond, that's a really good one, two, three combination for Seton Hall in the backcourt. And then I think he, he'll know, like, where else do I have to recruit? Obviously, they have to recruit size. But then he'll know where, what else do I have to do as far as bringing in players to get next year's team up to speed. So those are the moving pieces right now for Seton Hall. And when, when they fall into place, we'll have a good idea of where Shaw goes next in his recruiting. And when you hire the the hottest coach in college basketball, too, you certainly have to imagine that helps recruiting. Just the name recognition that comes with Holloway after that run with St. Peter's, uh, certainly raising some eyebrows, I guess you could say, for uh, some transfers, some recruits. So it'll be certainly interesting to see how this offseason plays out for St. Peter's and like or for Seton Hall. And like I said, fans very much looking forward to the Shaheen Holloway era uh, for the Pirates. As we uh, look the at- one thing, Rise, you can't yeah. just with caution, fans. Do not expect Shaw to get the Pirates to the Elite Eight next year. <laughs> I mean, what he did this year was was kind of a miracle. And I'm not saying he won't get the program back to that level at some point, Seton Hall to that level. I think that's definitely the intention. But you got to give the guy more than one year to work his magic. And it take, like you said, I, Steve had a great point. Culture means four-year guys, right? That's what St. Peter's were. They were three- and four-year guys. Uh, that's that's going to be the goal for Holloway. He's not going to live and die on the transfer portal the way Kevin Willard was at the end of his regime there. So it's going to take a little time to mm-hmm. put his stamp on the program. But, yeah, there's a lot of reasons to be excited if you're a Seton Hall fan. Absolutely, and of course, we'll keep an eye on the Pirates, Jerry, especially all off season. As we look ahead as well for the Scarlet Knights, Chris, we talked about it uh, a little bit before with some players uh, dipping their toe in the NBA waters. But beyond that, as we look at the Scarlet Knights ahead for next season, their off season priorities and just kind of how they build and 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 try to maintain the success they've had uh, going ahead into next season. 
Yeah, no doubt. I mean, look, we, we said it, um, you know, obviously this team's going to look very different next year and, and no Geo Baker, most likely uh, no Ron Harper Jr. You know, we, we'll see what happens with Jaden Jones. Obviously he didn't play very much this year, but you know, he's declaring for the draft. We'll see what happens there. If he comes back to Rutgers, um, you know, obviously, you know, there, there's, you know, Rutgers has some obviously talented players coming back in terms of Cliff Amori and, and Paul Mulcahy, as, as, as uh, Jerry mentioned earlier, um, you know, you have Andre Hyatt coming back and, and, you know, can Jalen Miller take the next step offensively? Can Dean Reaper continue to develop at, at the center? And, you know, but I think the big thing is going to be, you know, who does Steve Peichel, you know, does he bring in anybody from the portal that can kind of bolster this team scoring? And I think that that's going to be the big thing to watch, you know, throughout the offseason is how does this team's offense continue to, to kind of develop and improve? Um, because it has to. You're losing so much scoring. You know, it's going to be very interesting to see how Steve Peichel handles that. But, you know, certainly they have some good players coming back, but this team's going to look very different. And, and for the time being, you know, there's uncertainty as, as kind of the offseason um, continues here. So my prediction on this is I think I think Peichel will target a scoring guard in the portal, a guard who can – a lead guard type of player who can score and handle, obviously defend. No one plays for Steve Peichel if they don't defend. So – they're gonna. That's gonna be the main target. I don't see them bringing three players in off the portal. I see them bringing one, maybe two, but the main target being a scoring guard. Uh, you mentioned Jaden Jones. I, I was asked more about Jaden Jones from Rutgers fans this year than any other player, and he was a well-regarded recruit who was glued to the bench. And what I'll say about it is, Jaden Jones had plenty of opportunities to earn playing time in practice. He didn't do it. Okay, that's not on Steve Peichel. That's on Jaden Jones. So he had good players playing ahead of him, veteran players, and there was opportunity to play. Rutgers' bench was not that good. I mean, Jones could have earned time off the bench. He didn't. He didn't, okay? That stuff is earned in practice. That stuff is earned through effort, through doing the right things, through committing to defense, and it didn't happen. So, again, there's, there's stuff behind the scenes. Like if, if Steve Peichel had, was failing as Rutgers' coach – you know, I could see, like, how could he bungle this thing? But you have to – I think you have to have – Rutgers fans have to have a little faith in the coach who brought this program out of the wilderness that Jaden Jones needs to do more to earn playing time. If if Jones is willing to, you know, do that after he tests the waters or whatever he's doing now, then that's great. And and good luck to him. And he does have the talent and the scoring ability to maybe help Rutgers. But if he, he's not willing to do that, then he should relocate and should try somewhere else. But the idea that Steve Peichel is, like, ruining Jaden Jones' career – you know, but it's nonsense. I mean, come on, like, get out of here with that. So you got to, like you said, Chris, you got to earn minutes. That's not a thing. That's not a relic of the past. That's still a thing in sports. So you got to earn it, and we'll see if he earns it. It'll be an interesting offseason, of course, for Rutgers as well to see what they look like next season. And last but not least, uh, they probably should have gone first since it was a mid-major that, of course, stole headlines all March. But as we look at our New Jersey mid-majors, Steve, uh, I feel like it's the mid-majors where you do see those three- and four-year guys staying with these programs but then also it's the mid-majors that maybe suffer the most from the transfer portal so it's kind of an interesting balance that you have to strike for our new jersey mid-majors oh well i agree with you the second part of that i think you know listen everyone is impacted by the transfer portal but nowhere is it felt more than with the mid-majors you know you have basically power five high major conferences 
can just sit there and kind of pick and choose, you know, because a lot of guys are going to come from that mid-major level and put themselves out there and they can kind of pluck guys and, and take some of the best guys. And that really hurts. I mean, I, I'll give you a great example is, is John Dunn at Marist. He, he had a freshman of the year in the MAC, Jao Ituka. He That kid was as good as any guard in the MAC this year. He was really good. Well, he's in the portal. He's, you know, he's just had a great freshman year. Now all of a sudden he's in the portal. And John Dunn has four Marist players in the portal. You know, that really hurts. I mean, that's going to be so hard to overcome. It's like you're starting over. So, you know, I think at this level, uh, it really does hurt. Now, now you look at a, a program like Monmouth, you know, they, they lost four fifth-year seniors, right? So they're not back. They had two seniors and they're both in the portal. Nikkei Ruddy, their six-eight forward, and Sam Shapu, who was was a Shavar Reynolds' backup point guard this year, and did a great job coming off the bench for them. So they have now a roster. As they go to the CAA, their roster right now has not one player that averaged more than ten minutes a game this season. Um, so now, while Ruddy and Shapu could possibly come back, you know, uh, Mama's got to be really busy in this off season if, if they are going to be able to compete. Uh, so now listen, King Rice, he hit two home runs last year with Shavar Reynolds and Walker Miller, the UNC center they have, they brought in. Um, they were both great. He's got to do even better this year. Really, when you look at it, they're moving up a level and, and, and the cupboard is, is kind of bare right now. So a uh, big off season there. You know, we already touched upon St. Peter's and, and the, the backcourt. Uh, in the transfer portal, you know, we'll see how that plays out, but th that's huge. You know, everyone around the country is going to be looking to see how that plays out. And, yeah. It really depends on the coach. It really depends on who they hire as coach. I mean, that's yep. really what it is. And they got to hurry. Yep. So, you know, a lot of stuff going on there, but you know, throughout a league like the Max Siena, I saw Colby Rogers, you know, who, who was terrific this year for Siena. He's in the portal. Um, so there's a lot going on at that level. And, um, it really, it really has, uh, I think, more of an impact than at any other level, Ryan. Yeah. I want to mention an anomalous situation, too, with Princeton. This is unusual what Princeton faces because nobody, and I mean nobody in their right mind, transfers out of Princeton before they graduate <laughs> because the degree is that valuable. But the problem right. Princeton faces with the fifth year is that the Princeton doesn't, have, doesn't allow postgrads. So, like, Princeton has, all, has these three really good players – uh, you know, Jalen Llewellyn, Drew, Drew Freiberg, and Ethan Wright, really good perimeter players who can't come back. They have to leave if they want to play their fifth year of eligibility, and that just stinks. And, you know, the Ivy League has had this policy for a while, but the Ivy League has softened the policy somewhat for these special situations, and but Princeton has not. So, so really it's a shame it's a shame that the university can't do something for these guys who have, you know, really bled orange for this program for four years. I mean, come on. Is it going to besmirch the grand reputation of Princeton to have postgrads playing in a special circumstance? Because it, they lost two whole seasons for crying out loud. Mm -hmm. So I don't, you know, I think it's crazy, but that's a situation where those three guys could play anywhere. Like uh, uh, Llewellyn and Ethan Wright are high major players. They're going to wind up on high major rosters next year. And Freiburg may be like an A-10 type of guy, you know, high mid-major. Those three guys are going to be in high demand, and it stinks for Princeton that they can't, especially in a league where other teams can. I mean, that really stinks. So there's a lot of eligibility, transfer portal, uh, tampering issues going on 
in college basketball. And it is kind of the, when you peel up the floorboards, the underbelly a little bit, but that's, this is part of the game we love. And there are, there is a price to be paid for player freedom of movement, which we all think is a good idea. It isn't totally a free pass. I mean, there are downsides to it. Yeah, it's a part of the the modern college basketball game, and it's almost kind of like the transfer portal overshadows the the whole recruiting trail now. Of course, you have the signing day, and you have the big recruits that you bring into your program, but uh, it seems like so much attention is paid to the transfer portal just because it's so prevalent. And the other thing, Ryan, is the NIL. Like the NIL plays a role yeah. in this because the uh, like I've had a, I've had a, multiple coaches, head coaches, tell me the first thing they get asked nowadays when they approach a player, whether it's in the portal or a high school recruit or whatever, the first question they get asked is not what's my role going to be, not, you know, uh, you know, am I going to start, not how much playing time am I going to get? It's how, what's the NIL? What's the NIL? So this has really changed the dynamic. Like this is now you have to recruit using the NIL as a major weapon, and that's obviously an un, un, a non-level, an uneven playing field. Uh, for you know, mid majors versus high majors, but especially I would say, for anybody in the Northeast, like in the in the New York metropolitan area, the NIL. I mean, the 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 sponsorship deals, the most lucrative stuff is going to professional athletes. You know, you go to some of these places where the college is king, where the the college team is like the Yankees. That's they're going to get all those sponsorship opportunities. So I I do feel like the metropolitan area, even though there are a lot of opportunities, you know, it could be a little bit harder to get. High-level NIL. So NIL is another thing that factors into this. So like in the last two or three years, the entire roster building that we knew in college basketball has been upended. Yeah, absolutely. And and it certainly makes the the off-seasons have plenty of action and, and plenty for us to, to talk about, plenty for, for you guys to write about all throughout the off-season. Uh, of course, this is going to wrap up our season of Jersey Jump Shot, 15 episodes. We'd like to thank you so much for listening. Of course, be sure to subscribe because there might be some periodic check-ins that we do with a new episode based on what happens on the recruiting trail, what happens in the transfer portal, if we have any big news come in. It's not too hard for us to, to turn on the microphones real quick and, and do a quick podcast. So be sure to subscribe and, and to continue to follow along. Of course, Chris, Steve, and Jerry, give them a follow as well because even though the games are done for now, the action obviously is just kind of heating up for these college basketball teams in the Garden State. We'd like to thank you so much for listening to Jersey Jump Shop all season long. A special shout out to all of our guests along the way who joined us on the show. Thank you so much for checking in. For Steve, for Jerry, for Chris, I'm Ryan, and we'll talk to you next time on Jersey Jump Shot. Jersey Jump Shot is a production of the Asbury Park Press and USA Today Network. Subscribe at app.com.